Ah, Buffy and food. Maybe we shouldn't be too couple around Buffy. Oh, you mean because of how the only guy that ever liked her turned into a vicious killer and had to be put down like a dog? Can't she cram complex issues into a nutshell or what? <laughs> All right, prepare to uncouple. Uncouple. Buffy, banned from campus, but not from our hearts. How are you, and what's for lunch? Oh, I just threw a few things together. When did you become Martha Stewart? First of all, Martha Stewart knows Jack about hand-cut prosciutto. I don't believe she slays either. Oh, I hear she can, but she doesn't like to. Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to Mix... Nope. <laughs> you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 3, Episode 3, entitled Faith, Hope, and Trick. Um, so let's just begin with... Oh my god, my bat lights are still on. Turned those on last night. <laughs> That's why they're dying so quickly. Battery-operated lights are not a good idea in my world. So what you just heard was um, a good chunk of the opening scene of this episode wherein Buffy has met everyone off campus because she still hasn't been admitted back into school so she can't go on to school property yet. And she's meeting them on off campus for lunch. She's brought them like a little picnic lunch um, so that, which is really kind of great. You know, Buffy has just had this traumatic experience she had to go away for a while, you know, things have been pretty dark, but she's really trying to stay in touch with her friends, even though she can't go to school with them again yet. Um, she's, you know, trying to do everything she can to be normal again. Um, in fact, we get the quote of the episode a little bit later in this conversation. Basically, all the great conversation happens in this very first scene. Um, although I think it's a pretty good episode overall, um, I thought I was going to do a What's Up with Mixtress, but, um, don't think I'm going to today. Uh, I still, okay, so just to get the businessy stuff out of the way first, if you guys are fans of my radio show, or if you don't know, I have had a radio show for the last five years. It's actually the reason why this podcast exists. Um, and it's called Mixtress Radio. And it has been a weekly show for the five years that I've had it, but I have just recently decided to scale it back to a monthly show. That way I can spend more time focusing on this podcast um, and it'll save me some money as well to not do a weekly radio show. Um, so starting, let's see. Starting in November, like I'll still have a weekly radio show um, on the 19th of October. If you're listening in regular time, which is, you know, you might not be. But if you're listening in October of 2018, whenever this episode first comes out, um, I will have a weekly radio show still next Friday the 19th. But after that, it will only be every second Friday of the month. And once that happens, if you're only a listener of this podcast and you don't care about this particular information, it will change the podcast a little bit. On the one hand, I'm going to have more time to devote to it, so hopefully this podcast will be a little bit better. But also, it will include more personal anecdotes and it might get longer. 
because my my radio show is very personal because it doesn't have very many listeners and it has to be like it's a thing that you have to tune in for at the time that it's on so um it's you know it disappears after that into the ether i mean i'm sure there are ways for people to record my radio show but i doubt they do so um i have always been a lot more personal and talked a lot more about my life on the radio show but I'm going to sprinkle a little bit of that into the podcast um, because I'm going to need to because that radio show has been my therapy for years. So for five years now. So I'm probably going to get a little bit more personal on the podcast. I will probably relegate that to like the beginning chunk of the podcast. Like I'll probably do what I have called on the radio show, the what's up with Mixtress segment, where I'll just kind of talk about what's been going on with me the last week or however long since the last time we had an episode. And um, then I'll get into talking about the episode. This week, I'm going to jump right in because this week we have an introduction to several new characters. Um, Kakistos, Kissing Toast, Khaki Trousers, Taquitos, whatever you want to call them. The cloven vampire, the cloven hands and feet, the vampire that's so old that he has cloven hooves, cloven hands and feet. Um, we have the introduction to him, but he's going to die here in a second. He's going to die by the end of the episode. Spoiler alert. Hey, good time to mention that this is not a spoiler-free Buffy podcast. So if you're watching it for the first time and listening to this podcast afterwards, you're going to get a lot of spoilers for future events in the series. So, um, you know, you can choose to continue listening or not. We also get the introduction to the first, like, speaking role, more than one episode person of color character. Well, I guess Kendra sort of counts, even though she was really only in two or three episodes total. But we get Mr. Trick in this episode, uh, a black male vampire. We get, um, so that's why the episode is called Faith, Hope, and Trick, because we're introduced to three characters with those names. So um, we also get Hope, which is Scott Hope, um, a possible love interest for Buffy. And then what we've been waiting for for three years now. We get Faith Lahane, the Slayer. I am still sad about the treatment of Kendra as a vampire slayer. I don't think she got the respect and the time and the character development that she should have gotten, but her death directly resulted in Faith, and we love Faith. And I'm so excited about Faith. And it's another very underserved character, though. I'm going to be complaining about that pretty much every time we talk about Faith, which is going to be the rest of the year, because she's in probably every episode throughout this season. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this is a pretty, it's a pretty much a setting up things episode. You know, we're getting introduced to all these new characters. Um, but there's also a through line wherein... Um, Something that was so subtle, I thought, that it took me, like, you know, the fourth or fifth rewatching of this series to understand what was happening. And that's, um, uh, we'll get there. But, um, there's some subtleties in this episode, 
I thought it was pretty subtle. Um, maybe it was something that was a lot more um, on the surface for people smarter than me, but we'll get there. So the episode starts with Willow is um, kind of standing on the edge of the steps in front of Sunnydale. And she's talking about how we're seniors now. We're, we're allowed to go off campus for lunch. It's encouraged. It's not illegal. Like, this is so liberating. And she's just like, she doesn't want to do it. And um, Xander and Oz sort of link arms with her and sort of pull her off campus because she's, you know, agonizing about whether or not to leave. Um, and it's just, you know, a cute little moment of Willow not liking to break the rules. She's definitely our Ravenclaw of the bunch, I would say. Well, no, she's Slytherin. She's Slytherin for sure. But she's Ravenclaw presenting. Um... <laughs> Sorry, I am not like, I haven't read all the Harry Potter books. I've seen the movies. Harry Potter in general is not a storyline for me, but I regularly put people into their houses in my mind because I am, uh, I love sorting people into psychological spaces. Um, so I would say of the main four characters, you know, if you want to put them in four spaces, Willow's gonna be, even though she presents as a Ravenclaw in the beginning, she's the Slytherin because she's the one that is capable of the most, um, she's the most, <clears throat> excuse me, power hungry, excuse me, <laughs> I'm drinking coffee and eating, um, chocolate covered ginger right now, if you want a little glimpse into my life. Um, so I, I would say she's definitely Slytherin. And um, Xander is probably Hufflepuff. Uh, Giles is Ravenclaw. And Buffy is Gryffindor. So there you go. Of course, Buffy existed before the Harry Potter books. Okay? <laughs> okay, so um, that's when you get, they're sort of dragging her. They have just finished dragging her off campus when you get that um, little scene as they're approaching Buffy, Buffy's waiting for them on just like a little grassy area. It looks like it's still on campus because it's like in the trees before you get to the parking lot of the school, but they're calling it off campus. Anyway, Buffy's waiting for them. She has brought them lunch and it's just a cute little scene where they're, um, they're all just sitting around and everybody's together. It's Oz, Willow, Cordelia, Xander, and Buffy. And they're just kind of together. Oz and Cordelia are pretty consistently a part of the group now, which is great. Um, I think it is pretty obvious that season three, the show of Buffy, had a considerably larger budget. Like, as I mentioned in the last episode, a lot of new sets have been built. Um, everything is more well-lighted, which I don't love. And I'll mention that as we go along, certain scenes, like particularly the scenes in the library, look a lot different in um, this season. And it's probably because, I mean, I don't know for sure, but it's possible that they built a different set for the library. And, or they, they did something to it where they could light it better, or they just got better lighting. I don't know. The library looks different because it's much more well lit and so it just doesn't look as cozy and inviting to me because it's so well lit. 
Like, obviously, an actual school library would be pretty well lit, but um, that's not how they began the show. (laughs) And I realize that most of the reason why Buffy overall is a pretty darkly lit show is because of the fact that they, even after, even at this point when they have a bigger budget, it's still not a huge budget. And I realize that that's the reason why it's a darker show, because of budgetary reasons, but I like it being dark. I love that sometimes, you know, it's just a very small portion of someone's face is lit. I mean, it still looks beautiful. Whoever does all the, like, I don't know, cinematography, photography, all that stuff in Buffy is, they know what they're doing. They're always lighting people in the most flattering way possible. Like, every other thing that I've ever seen, several of these actors that are in Buffy, almost every other thing that I've seen them in, I haven't thought to myself that they are, you know, unearthly beautiful or anything, but the way that they're lit in the show of Buffy makes almost all of them look just the best that they could possibly look. They know exactly how to light each character and they all look so good. Um, Anyway, (laughs) that's just my little um, love letter to the photographers, lighting design, uh, etc. in Buffy. But at this point, I feel like they're at a... I think they go back to their dark themes soon. But... Um, in these first few episodes of the season, it's like maybe they got some new people. Maybe they just didn't know how to light their new sets yet. It's, um, the lighting is a little all over the place. Um, sometimes in a good way and sometimes not in these first few episodes of the season. But, um, let's see. What else was I going to point out at this point? Um, we get to the quote of the episode pretty quickly. It's right after this exchange. Um, that you heard in the, the, the like, opening quote thing that I used. Um, let's see. Willow brings up, this is where we meet Scott Hope, right at the very beginning. Willow's, like, pointing him out because he's within, you know, they can see him from where they're having the picnic. And Willow's like, hey, there's Scott Hope. He wanted to ask you out last year, but you weren't ready yet. But I think you're ready now. And that's when they get into a conversation where Buffy's just sort of like, well, I'm not ready, actually. Uh, And this is, the whole theme of this episode is Buffy not being ready to move on and no one else realizing why. Like, everybody else knows that, you know, last year was really fucking hard. She fell in love with the vampire and he lost his soul and then he terrorized everybody for the rest of the season. But it's been a full five months at this point since she had to kill him. And they know that it was traumatic that she had to kill him. But he was pretty evil for a long time. And they don't know the little tidbit of information that he had actually gotten his soul back right before she had to kill him. And that's why she's so hung up on the whole thing. They don't quite understand why she hasn't gotten over it yet, though they do know that it was a pretty awful situation. But in their time, you know, when did Angel go evil? Let's actually look that up. Angel went evil back at the end of January. So, you know, in the time of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know, it's been 10 months since he went bad. She's had a long time to get used to that. 
Um, and so this whole episode is about the fact that she hasn't told them yet the really dark secret. Um, and anyway, so they're like, Willow's just sort of, she's trying to set Buffy up because uh, they feel guilty for whatever reason that they're part of a couple and she's not. I've never really understood this particular, sorry about that. I just thought it's my phone. Storyline in, um tv shows and stuff when people feel guilty that they're part of a couple but one of their friends isn't or one of their friends feeling really left out because they're not part of a i mean is this a part of real life like if you're a person that is you know i always assume that when people are single they're single by choice i always assume that so maybe that's not actually true and people do kind of feel lonely when they're around couples um this might be a particular blind spot for me because I'm a serial monogamous, so I'm like always in a relationship and I just assume that people that aren't are choosing that for themselves. I don't assume that they can't get a date, but maybe that's something normies think. I don't know. Let me know if you guys uh, have any insight on that. But so, and I've always just thought it was creepy when people try to set people up. Like people can get their own goddamn dates, you know, like so I don't particularly love this storyline. I mean, I get it. It's it's just a way for us to focus on the fact that this whole episode is about how Buffy hasn't let Angel go yet. So this is an easy way to focus the plot on that. So Willow's just sort of like, you should totally go out with Scott. He likes you. And then Scott walks up and says hi. And he's so cute. He really is. He's very charming. Um, Scott Hope is another character that I think ends up being underserved because he's really only here to be, he's here to be a symbol for normal and to show us that Buffy, even given the choice between, you know, she's got this great option, a cute, charming, normal boy that likes her she's not going to be into him spoiler alert like she wants to be into him she tries to date him he's there's nothing wrong with him he's cute he's sweet he's charming like i've said but buffy is never going to have a normal relationship and he is only there to show us that even given the choice she does not ever choose normal um which unfortunately you know spoiler alert for season four through five she actually has a pretty normal dude like he's a little bit extra but she goes out with a normal dude for like two full years and she's not into him she's just not that into normal dudes <laughs> and unfortunately that's the only reason why scott hope exists but it would be nice if we saw her actually have a real even if it was short-lived a real relationship with scott because um, it's just a lot healthier for her to have a real relationship with. I mean, I hate to use the word normal in a positive <laughs> light because that's that's not my thing. But he's not, he would never treat her terribly. He He's a good kid, you know, and it would be nice if we got to see our hero pursue something with a good kid. I mean, I guess we do get that in Riley later on, but, um, I don't know. I just like Scott. 
and I'm sad for his treatment as a character in general. But anyway, so that's just the first scene, just that little lunch scene with everybody together, and it's kind of cute. And we get the, as Willow is sort of saying, hey, maybe you should go out with Scott, you know, do normal things. And Buffy's like, yeah, I do want to get back to normal. And she says, I want to date and shop and hang out and go to school and save the world from unspeakable demons. You know, I want to do girly stuff. So that's the quote of the episode. There's also a little slut shamey moment from Xander because Willow brings up something like, that Buffy has a little half smile that boys like or something and when they're like sort of talking to her about wanting to date again and she's saying she's not ready or whatever um Xander at one point says I saw that half smile you little slut and then she punches him on the arm um the um the women on buffering the vampire slayer which is the buffy podcast that i listen to which is part of my research as preparation for this podcast they had a they had a problem with that um and this show is definitely guilty of doing a lot of slut shaming and calling people slut and blah 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 but this little moment i didn't have a problem with actually him saying i saw that half smile you little slut I just, I saw it as good natured, you know, between friends. Like, I never personally had a problem with, like, calling and being called a slut by my friends. Um, I'm just one of those people. I know that, you know, that is a sticking point for a lot of people. Uh, you know, words like cunt, slut, fag all that stuff, other words that I'm not allowed to say because I'm a white girl, you know, that kind of stuff. It's up to, I think, every people in it and every person in every social group. If you're okay with those types of nicknames being said affectionately to one another, um, I really, I am okay with that stuff. So if a friend calls me slut, I just think it's sweet. <laughs> But, um, obviously I know there's no malice behind it and it's just up to, it's up to each person individually. So don't feel bad if you and your friends call each other slut. I don't think that's slut shaming unless somebody feels bad about it. You got to make sure that like, you're not using a word that hurts your friend's feelings. And in this particular case, you know, Buffy punches him in the arm and it hurts him and it's not you know I don't know maybe it is slut shaming but I don't think it was in this context there is another moment let's go ahead and talk about that now in which there is a slut shaminess um the so when we first see Faith this is later on so I'm jumping ahead but when we first see Faith in the bronze dancing she's dancing with a guy and the first thing said about her the first way that she is referred to by any character is Cordelia says check out Slutterama and her Disco Dave over there the very first thing associated with Faith is Slutorama so I think that's a lot more problematic than Xander just you know good-naturedly calling his friend a slut maybe I'm wrong like I'm for once, I'm giving the white dude the benefit of the doubt in this situation over Cordelia. So that's odd in and of itself. But I think 
calling someone you don't even know Slutarama because she's got some cleavage and she's dancing with someone. Like, Cordelia, you have cleavage and you dance with people. <laughs> like, come on. But, um, yeah. Anyway. I think that's a lot more problematic. So let's see. Let's get back to my notes here. Half smile, little slut. Um, then we're introduced to Trick in the very second scene. They're going through... He's in a limo with someone else um, in the dark so you don't see their face. Um, but you see his cloven hands at one point. So he is um, in the back of a limo and he's like wearing a suit. He looks really classy and he's going through the drive-thru and all he's getting is a Diet Coke, which is funny, of course. Nothing in the cup. You could definitely tell there's nothing in the cup. Like, that's one of my personal pet peeves. Like, if you're going to have as a prop a cup that's supposed to be full of liquid, if you're not a good enough actor to pretend there's something heavy inside that cup, then fill it with something. You don't have to fill it all the way. You know, if you're worried about spilling between takes and, you know, shit like that, they could have filled it up two thirds of the way and it would have looked better <laughs> than just someone handing an obviously empty cup across the threshold of the car window. I just, it always sticks out to me when a cup is empty and an actor doesn't know how to pretend that it's full. So anyway, so he hands the cup over the threshold and this is where we get into some racial politics stuff that we need to talk about. Like it's no secret that Joss Whedon is not kind to people of color in general. He makes Nazi jokes all the time. He, you know, I'm blaming him because basically anytime there's something to blame this show on, I'm going to blame Joss. And anytime there's something to thank this show on, I'm going to thank Marty. So that's just, that's what I do and deal with it. So Anytime, and there have, up until this point, you know, the only person, the only people of color that have ever existed have been introduced for like an episode and then they're killed off. As Nikki Stafford points out in her episode guide to Buffy that's called Bite Me, which is my favorite Buffy episode guide. If you are in the market for buying a book that is an episode guide on Buffy, she points out that uh, people of color are generally red shirts in the show. If you don't know that concept, um, it originated with Star Trek, the original series, wherein almost always, if you saw a character introduced at the beginning of the episode that you've never seen before, that's a crew member and they're wearing a red shirt, they will most likely be dead by the end of the episode. So, you know, anytime you call someone a red shirt, it's a character that's being introduced so that they can be killed off later in the episode in any type of series. Um, so she pointed out that most people of color on the show up until this point have been introduced as red shirt characters. And I think she's right about that. Um, she goes on to say that she doesn't think the show is doing that intentionally. I would... Maybe it wasn't intentional, but it was pointed out to, maybe it wasn't intentional in the beginning, but it was pointed out to Joss Whedon many, many times throughout his career that he does not do service to people of color very well. And he has mostly ignored that. He, in later series, he had, like in the Angel series, he had some people of color, 
or one at least that was a regular character. But I mean, that's not really doing much. And it should be pointed out that Trick, one of his very first lines of dialogue, this is a black male vampire that we're going to get through at least three to five episodes. He's going to be a player for a little bit. But it should be pointed out that he is a player that is always in service of a white person. So he's introduced as being sort of a lackey of this Kikistos guy. When the Kikistos guy gets killed at the end of this episode, the next time we see Mr. Trick, he's being employed against his will by the mayor. The mayor's just sort of like, well, I guess he gets an episode where he's on his own when he tries to kill Buffy and Faith. He creates Slayer Fest 98 and tries to kill them and that attracts the attention of the mayor and then the mayor just sort of tells him, you're gonna work for me from now on and you don't have a choice because I'll kill you if you don't. So, you know, we only get to see him just being like on his own for one episode. The rest of the time that he exists, he is in service of a white guy. So that should be pointed out. Also, he says something really cool and interesting in this very first scene with him. He says, um, actually, let me get, it was written down in one of my Buffy books so I can get the full quote, read it for you guys. Okay, here it is. And I'm just, just know that when you watch the episode or if you've watched it before, his delivery is so good. He's, this actor is really pretty extraordinary, but um, here's what he says. I'm not going to have the right inflection. <laughs> um, but admittedly, it's not a haven for the brothers. Strictly the Caucasian persuasion here in the Dale. But you know you just got to stand up and salute that death rate. I ran a statistical analysis and hello darkness. Makes DC look like Mayberry. And ain't nothing saying, ain't nobody saying boo about it. We could fit in. We could fit right in here. Have us some fun. So this is a great little opening monologue for Mr. Trick, and it points out the lack of black characters or any characters of color on the show of Buffy. And you think, great, they're acknowledging this. That's cool. Maybe he's assembled that the show has, you know, taken the criticism and is going to be better towards people of color from now on. Nope. Joss is just sort of like, let's sprinkle that little thing in there where a black character is acknowledging that there's no black characters in this show and think that that's good enough. And this is a trope in pop culture in general that like they'll acknowledge something and think that that's enough. They'll acknowledge something that's problematic about their own show and think that that's enough. This happens on Big Bang Theory all the time. They acknowledge the rampant sexism in that show. And then they just sort of brush it off. Like, yep, we know we're sexist, wink, wink. And then they just go back to doing all the sexist shit and think that, you know, acknowledging it means that it's okay. So... That's exactly what Joss is doing right here, and that sucks. So just had to take a moment to recognize that. Like, even though this is my very favorite show, it would not be my very favorite show if I wasn't a white girl. Like, because I would not be able, it's easy for me to overlook 
when there aren't people of color because I'm seeing myself represented all over the fucking place in this show because it's 98% white people. But, um, you know, just like when I'm watching a movie with a dude, it's way harder for them to notice that there's two female characters that haven't talked to each other at all throughout the movie because they're a dude. They're seeing themselves all over the place. So, you know, you got to stay woke kids, children, pay attention to this shit. It is really heartbreaking that um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is mostly white. It is. And it's not okay. And it's not okay that the only characters of color usually are at the very least underserved, but usually they are actual racial caricatures and they're seen as morally bad and they're painted as not as important as the, their white counterparts. There's a lot of problematic racial aspects in this show. So it's important to point that out every once in a while because it's there. Okay, next we get the dream sequence. I had an idea while I was watching this episode the other day. I would really like to find first find out if this already exists because if I don't have to do the work great but I would like to watch the entire series of Buffy in a montage of only dream sequences in order of appearance on the show and see like how much of the the full story of Buffy the show is told could be told through dream sequences alone because there are enough dream sequences that I think it could be interesting to see that play out. So there could all already be like a YouTube, you know what? Like why talk about it right now when I'm sitting in front of my computer without looking it up? So hold please while I look to see if this thing exists. Okay, admittedly, I just did like a full 45 seconds of research. So um, it looks like there isn't one. However, it looks like there are a lot of dream sequence um, clips from Buffy on YouTube. So I bet it wouldn't actually be as hard as I think it is. If I could, I would just have to do some initial research to write down each episode that has a dream sequence, look them up on YouTube, put them together in a playlist, and watch them all together. I think this is a project that is very worth my time. So um, it's not available yet if you're listening to this in real time, but I will let you guys know when I've got it um, put together. It shouldn't be too hard. If there's one missing, I can probably make my own clip of it to upload to YouTube. Um, I don't know how that works with like creative commons licenses and stuff like that. I mean, they exist. Fans put that shit up. So maybe it is fair use because it's just a scene in a show instead of like, it's not the full thing. I don't know. Anyway, I think that would be really cool to watch the whole series of Buffy just in dream sequences. Um, because there is an episode that is only pretty much only dream sequences the sh the episode restless which is my favorite episode of buffy of all time it's the last episode of season four it would be the playlist itself would be at least two hours long and there are a lot of dream sequences in buffy so it might end up being 
you know, more like three or four hours long, but that would be so cool, wouldn't it? I love dream sequences. I really do. Now that I've said dream sequences 47 times, please don't take a drink every time I say that because you'd be drunk. You'd be really drunk. Um, so this particular dream sequence is Buffy dancing with Angel at the bronze. Um, he's wearing a long sleeve white shirt. You know what that means? That means there's going to be blood on it here in a second. Every time a character that doesn't normally wear white is wearing white, there's going to be blood. So, um, they're dancing. She's, this is the first, okay, the, <laughs> I didn't do this, but I almost decided that the most valuable player of this episode is the Clotta ring because we get a lot of Clotta in this episode. So she's wearing it in the dream and they're dancing. And as, she, as they're dancing, the ring falls off and it just like clangs onto the floor and they both sort of separate from dancing and stare at it. And then he picks it up and he's about to give it back to her, but that's when he squeezes it really tight and blood goes through his fingers. And then his shirt starts to like get wet with blood. And, you know, he's talking about how you sent me to hell and shit like that. And throughout this whole, it's a very short dream sequence, but throughout the whole thing, um, Oz, Willow, Xander, and Cordelia are sitting at a table watching them just silently very still just staring at them so if you didn't know it was a dream when you saw angel which of course you did but if you didn't you would definitely know because of the fact that they're all just staring um i love the way they deal with dreams in this show because they make it so weird you know it's not it's never just like a thing that you don't know is a dream because the person wakes up at the end. It's never that kind of dream sequence. It's always things are so eerie that you know immediately that it's a dream sequence. Okay. Now that I've done my little love letter to dream sequences. Um, so Buffy wakes up, of course, and Joyce comes in and she, or right after she wakes up, she opens her drawer and she picks up the clotter ring and looks at it like... So we know that she still has it and she keeps it in her nightstand. She keeps it within arm's reach at all times when she's in her bedroom. Um, so we know that she still has it, but she doesn't wear it anymore because Angel gave it to her and, you know, it's, yeah. Anyway, so Joyce comes in she's like, are you ready for, <laughs> to face the beast or something like that. I think she calls him a beast. Um, and they, they're meeting with Snyder and he's basically, you know, like outlining the terms for her to get back in school. She has to take some makeup exam. She has to meet with a school counselor, blah, blah, blah. And Joyce just sort of says, but wait a second, I talked to the school board and basically they said, and then Snyder interrupts her and says that I have to educate every juvenile, whether or not they should be in jail. So, you know, despite everything that Snyder wanted, he has to educate Buffy. He has to let her back into school. And so that's when Buffy sort of stands up and says, so basically what you're saying is, uh, you know, sort of calls into question your whole ability to like lead or something like that. She just sort of sets him in his place. Like, despite what you wanted, you have to let me back into school and you lost. 
but she says it in an eloquent manner manner and then joyce stands up and says i think what buffy's trying to say is nah 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 and then they both walk out and it's just an awesome moment you know because it's a moment of joyce having buffy's back and that we have not seen a whole lot um we've seen it in the beginning of this season a little bit but in general we haven't seen joyce being there for buffy very often which brings us back to the whole my theory that they had a much bigger budget at the beginning of the season i think that's that's what i was starting to say earlier though i got sidetracked i think that's why we get to see christine sutherland as joyce more starting from now on that's why we get to see seth green as oz more from now on and why we get to see charisma carpenter as Delia even more actually I mean we've gotten her a lot up until this point but I think we get her even more often just basically a lot of the side characters get more screen time and that's probably because they could pay them in Christine Sutherland's case she lived overseas so every time we see Joyce we're essentially going to see her for one to three episodes and then she's going to disappear for a while <laughs> and um unfortunately I mean, I, it's hard to imagine any other actress playing Joyce, but I often question, like, why did they hire someone that had to fly from, like, London? You know, they'd have to pay her to come shoot. You know, like, I guess they just were really committed to her being in that role, which is, I love Joyce. I love Christine Sutherland, you know? But it for a part that... I don't know. They really sort of underserve her. <laughs> Every time I'm complaining about a character being underserved, nine times out of ten, they're a woman. Like, Buffy's really the only chick that gets... I don't know. You know what I'm saying. Okay, let's get back to my notes, because sidetracking a lot. That's what I do. Um, as far as outfits of this episode, it was really hard to pick a favorite. There are some really great outfits in this episode. Um, so far in this season, we've really had a lack of great great outfits, but this particular episode, it was hard to pick a favorite. So when Buffy and Joyce are talking to Snyder in his office, Buffy's wearing this really awesome, like, it's sort of like a cardigan, but it's sheer, but it also has like a velvet overlay pattern of sort of like cherry blossoms kind of, but they're purple. And the it's, it's like a light blue sheer. It's definitely buffy blue with this dark purple velvet cherry blossom pattern. And it has like this um, piping edging detail in the front that's sort of blue velvet kind of ruched and it it hooks with like hook and eye closures so that it doesn't have buttons it's such a great little like over shirt jacket thing it's so cool like and she's also uh, the rest of the outfit really isn't important because that's the statement piece she's wearing like a knee-length baby blue skirt or something it's just a very buffy outfit it's really great she looks awesome and she's also wearing like a this is the season of the butterfly clips <laughs> she's wearing you know like a bejeweled like butterfly clip thing in her hair and it's super cute she looks cute in this um in pretty much this whole episode she looks pretty cute later she's wearing like a bubblegum pink to 
hot pink gradient sheer shirt and there's some really nice Sarah Michelle Gellar cleavage in that shirt like it's on point cleavage on point <laughs> um she's wearing that later um of course when we get Faith in the episode her introductory outfit the pants are a little questionable but she's wearing um the pants are like a weird like fall color snakeskin vinyl situation it's like it's like marigold yellow fall orange it's it's very weird it doesn't really match the shirt but the shirt is great when we first see faith it's like a sleeveless black top that has like a keyhole cleavage window and then at the top it has like this beaded curtain situation <laughs> hanging in the cleavage window and it's like why did that not catch on as a fashion statement having a beaded curtain to frame your boob window <laughs> like beautiful so beautiful um at this point um elijah dusku doesn't have a whole lot of cleavage she is sort of smaller at this she's like 18 years old she's the youngest person on the cast um at this point and she doesn't have a whole lot of cleavage later she sort of fills out a little bit more but at this point it's you know the idea of cleavage that we are presented with when it comes to faith <laughs> but beat a curtain boob keyhole all the points in my opinion <laughs> so good and it also it's paired with so it's like a sleeveless shirt but then she has these like they're not gloves because her hands aren't covered but they're just like arm things that go up to like above the elbow a little bit it's it's odd but it works anyway anyway also willow's wearing a lot of fuzzy sweaters in this episode so she looks super cute Oz is wearing the best Oz outfit in this episode. When they first meet Faith, he is wearing a t-shirt that, um, I couldn't see all of it, but it was like a t-shirt that said Mantra World on it. So I'm assuming that Mantra World is like, you know, in my head canon, it is an advertisement for a rave or something that Oz has been to. And, um, so that's like a white t-shirt that says Mantra World. I think it had like a Buddha on it or something and then the overshirt that he was wearing was um it was like a a khaki and purple it was tie-dyed but it was like vertical stripe gradient tie-dyed it was a real classy form of being tie-dyed <laughs> and it was Oz looks great in purple and I think at this point it's his natural hair color um, usually we see Oz with dyed hair, but right now I think he's rocking his natural hair color, which is sort of a strawberry blonde situation. He's still got the dark painted nails, of course, always. He looks good. Um, pretty much everybody, I, I don't feel like Cordelia's outfits stood out at all in this episode. It was like, they were like, well, we got two chicks we got to focus on in this episode. We can't also have another chick looking hot. We can only do two at a time. <laughs> So I don't really remember any of Cordelia's outfits in this episode, but it was really hard to pick a favorite. But since I've just been talking about outfits for 10 minutes, I might as well pick one right now. I think I'm going to, I've got to give it to Faith. 
Um, and while I love that top that I spent five minutes describing a second ago, I'm going to give it to her second outfit of the episode. She was wearing red vinyl pants, a pretty normal kind of ugly sleeveless white top, but, um, and we see that featured more prominently towards the beginning of the day, but at the end of the day when she's patrolling with Buffy, it's the same outfit still. She's got chunky boots, burgundy vinyl pants, and that white shirt, but it's, she's got like a black sheer shirt, long sleeve shirt over the whole situation. So it looks much better. Just it looks, it's so good. Like the style of Faith, she has got, in that scene where she's, or in that, you know, day when she has the burgundy vinyl pants, it perfectly matches her burgundy lips and perfectly matches her burgundy nails. Like, Faith may be from the streets, hardcore chick that pays $18 a day for a motel room. She may be hard on her luck, but she still manages to match her nails and lips to her pants. <laughs> she looks good. She really does. Uh, okay, let's get back to the notes. All right, so when we meet... Okay, wait. I'm jumping way ahead of myself. Oh, um, also, you know, in the vein of hair and makeup and outfits, Buffy in this episode, and I'm curious to see if they continue this look for her or if it was just for this episode, but she, for the first time that I've ever noticed, she has sort of a, a shimmery metallic white eyeliner on her bottom waterline on her eyes throughout the whole episode and I don't know if they were doing this to sort of highlight that you know she's still she's still emotional she still hasn't let go of of Angel they later do this same thing to Spike whenever he's reintroduced as a character that is not going to be completely evil they don't they didn't do that with him when he was when so far, all that we've seen of Spike is with black eyeliner, but later when we're supposed to feel more sympathetic towards him, he's wearing white shimmery eyeliner on his bottom waterline the same way that Buffy is in this episode, <laughs> because it makes him just look more good, more sympathetic, more likable, on the verge of tears. <laughs> like. I just thought that was interesting. I've noticed that in Spike before, but I didn't ever notice that, like, okay, they're doing that thing with Buffy. Like, what does it mean? So, um, I'm going to be paying attention from now on to see if they do that with her in any other episode besides this one. But throughout this whole episode, she's got that white waterline situation going on. Um, so we're in the library, Giles, um, going back to the timeline, we haven't met Faith yet. So I'm going back to the notes. Giles brings up that he has a binding spell for a Kotha that he wants to do. So he's asking Buffy details of what happened. And so this is a theme throughout the episode. We're going to get Giles asking Buffy um, in a couple other occasions about specific details with this Akathla binding spell that he's trying to do. He wants to know whenever she killed Angel um, how that entire situation went. He wants to know the details of it. So that'll come back here in a second. We also get a little moment after Buffy walks out of the room between Willow and Giles. 
So at this point, she's back in the school. Like after that meeting with Snyder, she just is immediately back in school. She's talking about doing makeup tests and stuff like that. But so after she leaves the room to go do a makeup test, her first one, Willow and Giles sort of have a conversation. And this is one of the first times, I think we've seen it before, but it's still early days of Giles sort of starts asking her questions about spells that she's been doing lately because Willow's being really insistent that she helped Giles with this binding spell that he wants to do. And he's being kind of evasive about the details of it. And he's being a little judgy about the the magic that Willow has been diving into. You can tell he's not entirely approving of how quickly she's jumping into this stuff. And obviously that is a big plot point. That is a big character development sticking point for Willow. She wants to get into all this magic stuff. She wants to do some pretty serious shit. And she wants Giles to kind of be her mentor about it a little bit. Um, and I understand why he's reluctant and he kind of tells her it's dangerous and stuff like that. But if he had taken more of an interest in, I mean, obviously this is a thought experiment that, you know, this is not how the series progresses. So it's kind of moot to talk about this. But if he had taken more of an interest in Willow's interest in magic, whenever he noticed that she was going too far with it at this point, he could have guided her a little better. He could have been like, sure, let's meet up once a week to talk about some, you know, he could have imparted some knowledge on her. He could have taught her. He could have been a mentor to her more fully if he wasn't, he's just a hundred percent focused on Buffy and being a watcher. And that's understandable. And he's a great dad. <laughs> he's an amazing watcher. I love him forever, but this is like his one character flaw is that he could have spent more time with Willow because she later takes all this shit way too far. And if she had had a little bit more guidance from somebody that knows what they're talking about, because Giles had this same thing. He got too far into magic and he has experience in this and he could share that with her more than just every once in a while telling her shaking her his finger at her things could have gone differently for willow although i would not take back dark willow because yeah that's good times but it's also bad times we'll get there that's years years in the future literally okay so they have that little moment where willow's like i'm gonna help and giles is like that's dangerous shaky shaky finger Okay, then the next scene we finally meet Faith. She's dancing with some random dude that looks like he's hasn't danced since the disco era. Um, I just had a little note. Um, the band that's playing when we first see Faith is Darling Violetta, and they um, <laughs> at the very beginning of the scene when you see like you know, the name, their name is back behind them and they're playing at the bronze and you just get like one little shot of them. Um, and it's not even close up, but at the very beginning of the scene, the lead singer is lip syncing to her own music, but then she quickly stops and she's just like sort of making faces. <laughs> and I think, you know, they probably told her, okay, 
that we're only going to be focused on you for the first, you know, phrase of the song so you can lip sync to that part and you don't have to worry about the rest. But I think if she were really committed, she would have lip synced the whole way through because it's noticeable that she's not lip syncing, at least to, to me that's watching it on a computer screen two feet from my face. <laughs> so that was just a little note. If you're ever employed on a TV show to lip sync to your own music and pretend you're playing it on a stage, lip sync every single second. Okay? Don't slack. That's what I'm saying. Okay. So, da, 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 da. oh, uh, something I really want to point out. So Scott shows up at the bronze. They're all hanging out, which by the way, that little cove of the bronze we've never seen before, but they're sitting in this little area that has like burnt orange velvet couches and um brocade <laughs> not really brocade but i don't know what you call it when it's like embossed flowery velvet one of the couches is that in green there's like no less than three possibly more like four lava lamps behind their heads <laughs> There's one like wall hanging situation that has two tiny little shelves and there's a lava lamp on perched on each of those little shelves. <laughs> it's just an awesome, cozy little lush corner where they're all sitting and talking. And it's everybody. It's Oz, Cordelia, Xander, Willow, Buffy, and they're just talking and they're sort of watching Faith dance and Scott comes up and he's just sort of like, uh, at this point, I don't think Cordelia and Xander had walked into the frame. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Scott comes up. Um, Willow had sort of told him that if he came at a certain time, he could run into Buffy. She's trying to set them up still. And he, I just need to point out that he understands consent. So he basically, he just asks her to dance and she starts going, um, I don't know if I'm, I don't, uh, I don't dance. I, uh, you know, she's just sort of like feeling really awkward and he interrupts her to say, Hey, um, how about this? I'm going to, I'm going to go over to the dance floor. And if you change your mind and you decide you want to dance, mosey on over. If not, don't mosey. And then he walks away. And I think that is rare in pop culture that we see a guy, you know, paying attention to the signals. Like he doesn't, you know, he's, he's doing the thing that guys are taught to do, which is to like be persistent in getting what you want, but he's not doing it in a creepy way. He's just sort of like, okay, I can see that you're hesitant. You haven't outright said no, but you're hesitant. So I'm going to do a thing that is no pressure. Like I, he didn't even like make her finish her excuses for why she can't. He was just like, okay, all right. You can mosey if you want to mosey. No pressure. And I think that's sweet. It's still a little bit like being Buffy in that situation would be a little bit unnerving to know that he's sort of standing over there waiting for her to maybe come up. Like, but I think that's a nice, no pressure way in a situation where a girl is definitely reluctant for reasons not entirely that she doesn't like you. Um which is hard to know. <laughs> I mean, basically just take no for an answer, but I think this is a, this is a good nuanced way to not put pressure on a girl. 
I thought it was sweet anyway. So let's see. Na, 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 na. Um, so you, we see Faith and the dude walk out of the bronze and Buffy's sort of, I don't know if she would have even noticed them if Cordelia hadn't, you know, called their atten- all of their attention to her, calling her Slutterama, like I said earlier. But she notices that the guy is like wearing 70s clothes and dancing real 70s like. And it's been established before that if somebody is dressing way out of the era that they're in, (laughs) they might be a vampire. So Buffy sort of, you know, has noticed this as they're walking out. So she follows. And there's just an awkward little moment where Scott thought that she was walking towards him to dance. But really she was trying to leave the bronze to go save Faith. Um, so there's that awkward little moment. She's like, uh, sorry, I, I gotta go. Uh, sorry. And then she goes outside and everybody follows her because they all slay now. They are there to back her up. So everybody follows her outside and they notice that Faith is kicking some ass and she knows who Buffy is. There's just this great scene where she's like, hi, you're Buffy, right? And she takes, she takes a steak from her. And like headbutts the guy um, and stakes him. And I wrote down, she stakes him with her left hand. The first staking we see on screen of Faith, she's staking a guy with her left hand. But later we see at a scene um, where she's eating, she's using her right hand. So I don't think Faith is left handed. I think it was just better for that particular shot for her too. She's ambidextrous, maybe. <laughs> but I got excited because I'm a left-handed person. And every time I notice that someone else is left-handed, I get really excited. So, okay, back to the notes. X interrupts B. Okay, so they they all go inside as soon as um, it's established that Faith is a, obviously a slayer or else she couldn't fight so well. Because um, they're all just sort of standing there as they watch Faith dust this vampire so they all go back inside go back to their cute little couch corner and they're all talking to faith and faith is telling a bunch of stories about you know different vampires that she's slayed and stuff which um and then cordelia sort of you know does the exposition like okay i get it buffy died for a second and that's how kendra was called and then when kendra died Faith was called. So at this point in the timeline, Faith has been a slayer for about five months. Um, I think this is a good time to talk about the slayer calling lineage, the way that that mythology works in Buffy. As far as I can tell, it's only the death of the most recently called slayer that calls another. Because, spoiler alert, Buffy dies again at the end of season five, and she dies for a few months, but another Slayer is not called when she dies, because she's died before. So apparently the, your Slayerness is attached to your body and soul for all time, but if you die for a second, the current Slayer called mysticism is in the most recent Slayer. For whatever reason, because um, this is the only other Slayer we get to meet, because Faith lives. <laughs> Another spoiler alert, Faith is still alive in the comics, as far as I know. I don't, I'm not fully up on the Faith storyline, because it's not in the main Buffy comics, but I would like to be fully up on the Faith storyline, because I love her. Um, 
So I really need to get current on that, but I haven't yet. Anyway, so if faith were to die, another would be called, but the whole faith or the whole Slayer lineage storyline was completely obliterated and changed in the last episode of the whole series of Buffy. But as of now, that's the way it goes. Because at first I was a little confused. Like, why was a new Slayer not called when Buffy died for like five months? Like, what? Um, but yeah, okay. So just in case you guys wanted that explanation, as far as I can tell, that's the way that it works. So unfortunately we lost Kendra, but that does mean we gained faith. So Hellmath, as they call it on Buffering the Vampire Slayer. One minus Kendra equals one plus faith. Hellmath. <laughs> Sorry for appropriating that word, but like, um, I can't help it. You know, I listen to a Buffy podcast and some of their thoughts, um, I agree with, and I, you know, I try to credit them wherever I can. I, I like to think of them as a sister podcast, even though they don't know ex I exist. Maybe someday they will. Um, okay. Let's get back to the notes. Oh, um, Xander and Oz both interrupt Buffy during this scene and it really annoys me because you know faith is telling all these stories about different vampires and demons that she slayed and like everybody's wrapped with her storytelling and um every once in a while she asks buffy she's like what about you what was your hardest kill or whatever and she's trying to make conversation with buffy and every time buffy starts trying to answer faith's questions either xander or oz interrupts her so dick moves guys and i hardly ever think that oz is doing anything dickish but he interrupts with like worrying about himself at one point he's like okay so i get that you kill vampires you know valid lifestyle choice but what's your take on werewolves and this is where we get the first time drum roll please da -da 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 -da. that face says five by five because her answer is you know so willow's just sort of like well oz is a werewolf um and faith says well as long as you don't scratch me or hunt my leg we're five by five very first conversation with faith she says the thing that we all love her for the thing that is the basis upon which the rating system of this podcast exists the thing that is tattooed on my left leg five by five love it forever faith rules okay let's see oh um xander just keeps like he's obviously very attracted to faith and he keeps like asking questions about her being naked and just being sleazy as fuck and at one point um xander or cordelia just sort of like glares at him and says xander find a new theme because he's asking if she's naked or something during one of her stories. Are you naked this time? You know, or whatever. And um, that's just a pretty good moment. Like, I like that they portray Cordelia in these moments where Xander is obviously fawning over another girl, which these moments happen a lot. Um, I like that Cordelia doesn't ever seem to be portrayed as being unnaturally jealous of that she and doesn't internalize it or blame herself for it she might just have like a little moment of jealousy but then she 
immediately puts it on him. She doesn't internalize it. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of the problematic interactions between Xander and Cordelia get a little bit of a pass from me because she does not take his shit. She doesn't. She doesn't. She flips it right back always. So every time he calls her a slut, which is very problematic and I'm not okay with it, she still comes back with just as much insults towards him at least she can hold her own she doesn't take his shit but he's still an asshole doesn't make you not an asshole okay don't be an asshole okay so she tells him to find a new theme da, 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 da. okay so um Faith sort of explains in this moment that she is watcherless because her watcher is at a retreat and she just sort of assumes that Buffy's watcher is at a retreat too. And then we get the cut to the next day wherein Giles is sort of lamenting that like the watcher's retreat is really cool. So I've heard, you know, like it's an honor to be invited. So I've heard and I just got to call bullshit here. The Watcher's Council isn't an organization of a lot of mostly dudes in England. However, up until, you know, Buffy died for a second and Kendra was called, Giles was literally the only Watcher that was active. The only active Watcher. Like, I realize it's sort of a thing. It's sort of a calling. There's a bunch of Watchers. There's a bunch of potential Slayers. We never really get to see behind the scenes of what goes on in the Watcher's Council, which would have been an interesting thing. We don't really get to see that, but I assume it's sort of a training facility type situation where there's a lot of potential Watchers and potential Slayers just sort of training and preparing for if they're ever called. However, how would one of only two active Watchers not be invited to the watchers retreat come on but i mean it's a nice little moment because we get to see that like giles doesn't really fit in with other watchers he's not like other watchers just like buffy isn't like other girls so whatever he didn't get invited um let's see <laughs> my next note is buffy in pink gradient with excellent cleavage um so that's when Faith first meets Giles in this little scene in the library. And um, after, after like uh, Faith walks out and Giles and Buffy are alone, he says, well, the new Slayer has zest. <laughs> uh, but then he immediately brings up that binding spell again. Um, and he's asking Buffy more questions about, you know, what happened when she killed Angel and, uh, defeated Akathla and she is not wanting to talk about it still. She's just sort of like answers his questions really quickly and then just sort of walks out. Um, so that's just, you know, more of setting that up, that situation up. Um, oh, my next note was, so this is the day in which Faith is wearing the burgundy leather pants that I mentioned earlier. They're probably more like pleather or vinyl. But, you know, they have that look of leather, pleather, vinyl. And I um, wrote in my notes that they, the sound design in Buffy is usually pretty damn good. 
they actually mic'd that hallway because you can hear with my headphones on while I'm watching it. You might not necessarily notice if you don't have headphones on, but you can hear those vinyl pants as she's walking down the hall. You know, those type of pants make sound when you walk. And she's kind of walking a little strange because I think she's trying to minimize the sound. But um, I just thought that was... A great touch that you know you're not I hate it when they're adding sound effects later you can always tell when somebody's adding sound effects later because if they were you would not get the subtle vinyl pants sound and as a person that wore vinyl pants a lot in high school I know they make noise <laughs> um, especially if I wore them now I got a lot more thigh to rub together now man they would be so noisy if I wore those pants now um, also want to point out in the background of this particular scene when they're in the hallway at school and a lot of times they actually shot in a real school so it's possible that some of these posters were actually up in a real school but there's two problematic posters that I noticed in this particular scene one of them says abstinence lets you choose your future <laughs> Um, and then the more problematic one, it's a picture, it's like a black and white close-up of a frosty beer in a mug and a stein glass or whatever. And it says, campus rape starts here. So that I think is very problematic. Like you drink a beer, you're gonna get raped. Like, yikes, that's not okay. Like that's way more slut shamey than Xander calling Buffy a little slut good-naturedly earlier <laughs> again I'm giving Xander the benefit of the doubt like ugh, hell is frozen over but um anyway let's see um there's a great quote from Xander as he's he's they're sort of Xander and Willow are sort of taking Faith around the school which why does Faith get to be at the school she doesn't go there <laughs> like whatever that wouldn't really happen in real life like people don't get to be on campus that don't go to school there but I mean I guess I mean, she's not invisible, though. She's not an invisible girl. But anyway, so they're taking her around the school. And like, that's where I almost got sucked into hell. Blah, blah, blah. This is where this demon attacked us. This is blah. And Xander has a great quote where he's like, they say kids don't learn anything in school. But I've learned to be afraid. <laughs> um, then we get a little moment with Mr. Trick and Kikistos. This is the first time we see his face. I don't think we know that his name is Kikistos yet, but he has a giant slash across his right eye and um, he's talking about he wants to kill the Slayer and Mr. Trick's like, well, for some reason there's two Slayers in this town, so we're gonna have to like be careful. And he's like, I don't care. She's gonna pay for what she did to me. And that's when you finally see his face for the first time and there's that gigantic slash on his face. So we know that, you know, it wasn't Buffy that did this to him. So we know that Faith did something to this guy and that the reason that he's here is probably because of faith okay so next we get the scene where um faith is having dinner with joyce and buffy and it's just a great scene because faith is just like enthusiastically eating everything in sight and um joyce is sort of asking you lots of questions like do you like slang um and joy or and buffy or and Faith is just like totally, yeah, I love slaying. It's great. It's a great feeling because I know they're going to lose and I'm going to win. And, you know, she takes joy in slaying and Joyce finds that interesting. She's like, well, that is interesting. 
Buffy doesn't talk that way. You know, Buffy acts like it's a gigantic burden and she doesn't have any positivity. And earlier, um, Faith says something like, Faith needs to, Buffy needs to find the fit. I can't do people's names right now. Faith was talking to Willow and Xander saying, well, it sounds like Buffy needs to find the fun. You know, like, why is she so reserved? Why is she so tightly wound? Because she shows up on the scene wherein Buffy is particularly, like, burdened with slaying with her life. And this is probably a good time to segue into the conversation of this show really portrays slaying as a duty and a burden and a moral obligation. And if we see such in the example, such as in the example of faith, a slayer taking joy in slaying, like later she really like drives it home that she's like, we're built for this. Why should we not enjoy our jobs? Like it is very much portrayed that because faith enjoys slaying, she is amoral because she doesn't particularly care that you know like she kills vampires and shit but she doesn't particularly like dislike vampires she's just sort of like well something I am allowed to kill I'm gonna do it and that is unequivocally portrayed as being amoral and being not okay and we get to and we have to see faith really turn into a bad guy because she takes joy in her profession. So uh, it's a question that I think needs to be talked about a lot as we talk about faith this season. You know, why does this show tell us that it's not okay to enjoy being a slayer? I think that this is a very sexist problem. I think that if we were, if the slay, slaying lineage was dudes instead of girls, I think that we would probably be allowed to see them enjoying it every once in a while. But Buffy, every time we see her actually maybe enjoying slaying, it's a bad thing. It's a plot point that, oh God, because later we see there's an episode called Bad Girls coming up. Woo! That's an exciting episode where she sort of hangs out with Faith all day and um, she's patrolling with Faith and they're she's sort of faith is rubbing off on her she's deciding to try to enjoy her job and that is seen as a very bad thing and there are very dire consequences for that we're not supposed to enjoy it we're supposed to feel burdened by it so um i think that's a sexist interpretation i think that could have been handled differently like, I get that, you know, taking joy in killing things just indiscriminately the way they portray Faith as being is not a good thing. And I see how that led to dark things for Faith. But there could be a balance. It doesn't have to be all, you know, self-righteous moral goodness versus joyful moral absence, you know? There can be a balance, but they really don't let Buffy strike that balance. Throughout the entire series, she's not really allowed to enjoy being a slayer. It's always joyless for her, and it never pays her. It's, you know, she gets absolutely no thanks for 
being a hero. It's like a life of atonement for sin she never committed, you know? Um, which is sad sometimes that that's the way that it is portrayed. So I just thought that's something that we're going to have to talk about. So but I decided to go ahead and bring it up now. Okay. And then we're still in this conversation between Mr. Trick and Kikistos. Um, he starts putting on, Mr. Trick starts putting on this like, you know, elbow length of a knit and saying something after somebody knocks on the door and he's like, okay, food's here. And it's a pizza delivery guy, but of course they don't give a shit about the pizza. So he reaches out the door with, you know, the oven mitt thing and pulls in the pizza guy. And the pizza just clatters to the ground because they don't give a shit about the pizza. <laughs> um, also, there's some, like, exposition in the scene about um, they're, they're planning something wherein they can, like, I don't know, order certain and this is like a kind of problematic moment where mr trick talks about ordering a 15 year old filipino girl to drink her blood online or something so like he is portraying himself as a quote-unquote modern vampire so where they're talking about you know like megabytes of data like they're searching for the slayer and they um i don't know they're planning something whatever who cares i don't care about that <clears throat> okay, so Faith eating everything in sight. Then after they eat dinner, Buffy and Faith go patrolling together. And this is where they sort of, like, up until this point, Faith has really, you know, been very personable with Buffy. You know, she's actually been pretty great asking her about her life. You know, she's interested in learning about her. Um, so far, she's been pretty forthcoming, pretty charming. Everybody loves her so far. Um but this is where she just sort of like gets a little confrontational with Buffy. Like, what is your deal? Why do you hate, um, why do you hate your life? Like, why is it bad to hate being a slayer? Like, and it would be kind of frustrating, you know, only two slayers in the entire world. And Buffy is sort of treating Faith as an annoyance. And, you know, that would be pretty dark. I see Faith's side in this argument. <laughs> There was also, I totally skipped over it, but there was a whole scene between Joyce and Buffy in the kitchen um, during the dinner scene where Joyce sort of points out to Buffy, like, you know, there are two of you now. Isn't that two is safer than one? Like, try to be a little bit more open to Faith. Like, maybe she could take over for you. You're going to college next year. She seems to enjoy slaying and you don't. And... Um, Buffy's just sort of like, well, the only way you get another Slayer is if one dies. And that's when Joyce is like, what? You died? <laughs> so this is the first time that Joyce gets let in on the fact that Buffy drowned a couple years ago for like a second and then was brought back. Um, and she hugs her mom and they, they're making more parallels between the whole coming out thing because Joyce says, I tried to march in the Slayer Pride parade, but you know, like, I worry about you and stuff. So, I mean, it's very, it's very in your face the way that Joyce is. Joyce is very openly confrontational with Buffy in contrast to Giles. This entire episode is being very, very subtle, trying to get her to open up, um, with the ruse of the spell that he's not actually doing. Um, but Joyce is very opposite. She's very She's a hammer. Joyce is a hammer and Giles is, uh, I don't know, something 
never mind. I'm not going to follow that metaphor because I have nothing else to say about it. But Joyce is a hammer. And so that's a little moment. And Joyce says something interesting. She said, you know, Buffy's complaining about Faith. Faith is, you know, getting along with friends. She's getting along with my fries right now. She's getting along with everybody. And, you know, Joyce says, it's probably a good thing that you're an only child, Ben. Which, of course, is a little bit of portents. They may not have, the writers may not have known yet, but in a couple of years, we're getting a sister. <laughs> Yay for that. Okay. Um, let's get back to the notes. Okay, so they're sort of back to them patrolling together. They sort of fight at this point because Faith is just sort of like, what's the deal? Why are you so tightly wound? And Buffy gets very defensive because Faith just basically says, is it because of the whole Angel thing? And she hasn't said anything about Angel to Faith. But, you know, somebody probably filled her in a little bit. And Buffy gets very defensive of course, because that's what she does. And they get to a point where they're almost going to fight each other. And that's when uh, Kikistos' dudes show up and um, they fight. And you get to see Buffy and Faith fighting side by side. But Faith is definitely dealing with something. She's just like taking her aggressions out, like repeatedly punching a vampire instead of just staking the vampire because they're like, you know, four or five of them that come upon them. And Buffy has to deal with all of them except for one because Faith is, you know, delaying the kill by punching the vampire too much. So you can see that Faith is working through something. Faith has got some angst and she gets defensive about it when Buffy's like, what's the deal? You could have helped me, you know? Um, and Faith just says, I thought you could handle yourself. And then she disappears into the night. Uh, and later, okay, so the next scene is Buffy and Giles walking down the hallway at school. And she's sort of explaining the situation of when they patrolled last night. Because she, you know, she always reports to him what's going on. He's her watcher. And she's like, well, you know, Faith is, she's not playing with the full deck. Um, she has almost no deck. She has a three. <laughs> I had to point out that moment because it was funny and my mom laughed at that. Uh, she thought, I think that was like one of the only times she reacted to this particular episode, but she laughed at that moment. She has a three. <laughs> and then my mom laughs. This is the moment of them walking down the hall. The very first, the debut of Giles's minty milk glass mug. This is not the last time we'll see it, but it is the first and it's a momentous occasion. Um, not to bring up the other Buffy podcast again, but buffering the vampire slayer. <laughs> They've been talking about this mug. They've been anticipating it as much as I anticipate this mug. <laughs> and they wrote a little jingle to go with Giles's mug. So, uh, just a just a nice little moment if you're looking for another Buffy podcast to add to your life um listen to this episode because they have a jingle dedicated to Giles's mug which is a good segue to this is the object of the episode because it is a nice mug <laughs> and it reoccurs many times um Shout out again, not the first time and definitely won't be the last to Anthony Stewart Head for always having props. He always has stuff in his hands like he's a regular human being going through life. So not only does he have this mug in his left hand, but he also has 
a banana that he's going to eat later. <laughs> you know, he's not even eating the banana. It's just in his hand. Um, I just love those little details. But anyway, they're talking about the situation and, um, Giles is kind of distracted because he's still like sad that he's not at the watcher's retreat. And, um, he says, I used to love a good kayak. They're probably sitting down to a nightcap right now. I used to love a good kayak. I wonder if they still kayak. <laughs> and then Buffy just sort of like stares at him so that he stops. Like every time he goes on some little tirade, she just stares at him. <laughs> anyway, um, so she tells, they said something about Kikistos whenever they were fighting the night before the, like one of the lackeys said says for Kikistos I live and Kikistos you die or whatever and so Buffy's like they said something about kissing toast or maybe it was taquitos <laughs> and Giles is like oh my god Kikistos he's a vampire that's so old he has cloven hands and feet and like he is alarmed so he's gonna do he's gonna go into research mode for Kikistos and um Buffy points out, well, he showed up at the same time as our bestest new little, as my bestest new little girl sister, little sister, whatever. So she is going to go find Faith and ask her if she knows who this Kikistos person is. Um, and Giles is going to call the Watcher's Retreat to get some information from um, Faith's Watcher. And then Buffy walks off to like go find faith i guess and scott finds her in the hallway and he's like another point of him being not too pushy he's like hey um this is my think of this as my last ditch effort because one more is going to be considered stalking and he's like hey do you want to go to this buster film buster keaton film festival this weekend um i would love to go with you and he she says yes she says, you know what? Yes. Um, I haven't give, given Buster Keaton a chance. Uh, I would love to go with you. And after she says yes, he gives her a gift. And he says, it represents friendship. The guy at the, that the retro shop told me it represented friendship, which I would very much like to have with you. And then he gives her a Clotta ring. <laughs> so the Clotta's back, you guys. The MVP of the episode, not really, but kind of. The cloud is back. So obviously Buffy freaks out. She drops it. Uh, she runs away. Or she doesn't really run away. She just like drops it and she's crying and sort of confused. And then Scott was like, okay, I get it. That's a no. He runs off. Um, little awkward moment. And she's clearly crying. She doesn't see that um, Giles has been approaching. You see him in the background. He's been approaching towards the very at the part where he gives her scott gives her the ring um and she doesn't notice if her well okay first of all let's point out <laughs> buffy by the time she is not even 18 yet and she has received not one but two clotter rings from boys okay i had to pester my michael four years before he bought me a clotter ring <laughs> And she gets two before her 18th birthday. Okay, just wanted to uh, complain about that for a second. Anyway, so um, Giles has been approaching the very last of this interaction, and Buffy does not even notice him. She's just totally, and like the ring falls and clatters to the floor the same way it did in the dream, which 
typically that's how dream sequences in Buffy work. Something happens in the dream that happens again in real life. So um, he comes up and he sort of touches her on the arm. She freaks out for a second, just like recoils and and she's crying and he, he asks her if she's okay. And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. Um, what's up? And um, obviously he's okay. This is probably as good a time as any since I'm jumping all over the place anyway, like I always do. Throughout this episode, Giles has been trying to get Buffy to talk about, you know, the whole thing. He knows there's something that she's not telling him, and he's created this ruse of having a protection spell in order to try to get her to talk. Over and over, she has been very, like, um, glib and clipped with her responses. She answers direct questions, but then she runs out of the room really quick and has an excuse to leave. She doesn't really want to talk about it, and he lets her go. He repeatedly, like, he's gonna keep bringing it up because he wants her to talk about it because he knows there's something she's not saying and he knows that she needs to process it, but he's not gonna push it. And this is another moment of that. He sees her in the hallway, like, clearly very upset about some innocuous interaction she just had with Scott. And, you know, he knows that she's dealing with something and he doesn't know exactly what it is, but he knows that there's more to that death than she lets on. And in this moment, you know, he just, all he tries to do is like touch her arm and ask her if she's okay. And she recoils immediately and he puts his hand down. You know, he's not, he's not the hammer that Joyce is. He is going to be very subtle. He's going to let her talk when she's ready, but he's also not going to let her completely ignore what she needs to deal with. Um, yeah, anyway, Giles, the good dad. Um, so at this point, you know, he has come to try to catch up with her because he had called the Watcher's Retreat and um, Faith's Watcher isn't there because Faith's Watcher is dead. So we get that little piece of information. Buffy catches up with Faith um, at her, like, hotel and... Uh, she sort of confronts her about it. Like, what's the deal? Your watcher's dead. You didn't tell us what's going on. Who's Kakistos? And she starts immediately at the mention of Kakistos. She starts packing her bags. She's out. And of course, Buffy can understand that reaction. Uh, Buffy is also very traumatized and ran away from a situation that, uh, yeah, recently traumatized her. So she relates and she tries to talk to her. And um, we see for the first time, we see the facade face facade drop and she is very upset and she's like so did he kill your watcher um and faith says they don't have a word for what they did to her they don't have a word for what he did to her and it's a really nice little moment of you know seeing face vulnerability um and Buffy, you know, like she does, she gets in there emotionally. She confronts people. She makes other people confront their shit when no one can make her confront hers. <laughs> but she does. She is, she's a hammer just like her mom. And she's kind of confrontational. But she does get Faith to sort of open up a little bit and talk about it. And at that point, 
moment, of course, Kakisto shows up and Faith loses her shit. You know, she starts like screaming and like pulling at her hair and Buffy's like, um, scream later, escape now. So she pretty much saves her life. They get out. They end up being like cornered into a little lair area or whatever. And there are like, you know, several Kakistos' lackeys that they have to kill. And Faith is just sort of freaking out and cowering in a corner as she's being confronted by Kakistos. And Buffy, you know, kicks some ass. She kills like three to five vamps all by herself because Faith is just sort of in shock and um, facing Kakistos. Because she had to watch her. She had to watch her watch her die. And she, you know, felt like she, felt like she failed her and couldn't save her. This is the first mention of a female watcher. I think that's important to, um, we never get to meet her. Unfortunately, we don't even get flashbacks of Faith's origin story. Um, wah, wah, yet another time I'm complaining about the disservice to the development of Faith's character, but, um, we never get to meet her. Later, we get to see another female watcher. Um, that gets assigned to Faith, kind of. I don't know. We'll get there. But um, Faith is really the only Slayer that ever gets a female Watcher throughout the series of Buffy. Um, which, duh, because Buffy already has a male Watcher. But anyway, anyway, this is the first mention of a female Watcher. So Faith describes that she had to see her Watcher die, and she's very traumatized by this dude. And she feels like she couldn't save her Watcher, and it's it's a thing. Earlier, we never, ever, ever get more backstory on this. Maybe in the comics, but not in the show. Um, as one of, like, Faith's snappy comebacks while they're fighting in that first patrolling scene when they were fighting together. She says, like, my dead mother hits harder than you. And that's literally the only time we get to hear about Faith's parentage. That's the only moment we get to hear anything about her past family storyline is that, you know, if that's true, then her mom is dead. And, you know, that's a whole thing that we should have unpacked at some point, but we don't. So she's cowering in the corner. Buffy's killing everybody. She tries to kill Kakistos. She like stakes him twice with a regular stake. And that's when he says, you're going to need a bigger stake. And, um, that's when Faith finally stops cowering in the corner and she stakes Kakistos with like a two by four. And he dies. And um, earlier in the episode, Faith had mentioned when they were all sitting around at the bronze talking when they first meet her, she had said, isn't it crazy how slaying makes you hungry and horny? Because she's like eating everything in sight right after killing that vampire. And Buffy's just sort of like, uh, and everybody looks at her. And Buffy's just like, uh, sometimes I crave a non-fat yogurt. <laughs> and at this point, you know, they've just killed off everybody, all the Kikisto's people. Mr. Trick escapes because he just sort of realizes that he should probably help, but he might get killed. So he just like is whatever. I don't care. So he runs off. Um, so they've just, they're both like super out of breath. They just killed all these dudes. And, um... What is the exchange? Let's see. Oh, uh, 
Buffy just sort of says to Faith, it's like she didn't acknowledge in that scene when they were all talking that, you know, slaying makes her hungry or horny. <laughs> but they're both just like sort of super out of breath. And Buffy turns to Faith and says, you hungry? And Faith says, starved. And then they walk off. And there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of subtext between Buffy and Faith anytime they're on good terms with each other in any way. It, there's a lot of like lesbian subtext, um, which a lot of people get a lot of joy out of. I'm sure there's a shit ton of Buffy Faith, Buffy slash Faith fan fiction. Um, and it's really, I mean, it's a really nice thing to see them getting along. Like, Again, it would have been so great to actually get to get less from the Angel storyline and more from the Buffy and Faith storyline. Like, not necessarily like lesbian whatever, but just them being slayers together because they're the only two and just seeing them getting along and fighting together. Like, this show is pretty sexist in some ways, including the aspect that we really don't get we see, we're constantly reinforced that it is amoral for the two of them to be getting along. And that sucks. So, I've said a lot about that already. And we're already an hour and 40 minutes in. So, let's move on. Okay, what's next on my notes? Um, only one more page of notes, you guys. So, we're getting close. <laughs> Um, let's see. The next morning, Giles is telling Buffy and Willow that, um, you know, they've decided when he spoke to the Watcher's Council that Faith is going to remain with them. So he's essentially going to be the Watcher for both of them, um, until she gets assigned an individual Watcher. Um, which sort of contradicts the whole Watchers are called situation that they've kind of sort of alluded to earlier in the series but whatever so they're waiting for faith to be assigned a new watcher so she's gonna be with them so yay faith welcomed into the fold um and let's see buffy tells giles so this is when buffy decides she says to giles and willow because it's just the three of them in the library she just says, hey, you know, Faith had a lot to deal with, and she dealt with it. You know, and she's talking about how, you know, she faced her fears, killed Kakistos, and she dealt with her shit. And Giles is like, glad to hear it. Um, and then Buffy just decides that, you know, she sees a parallel here between, you know, things that need to be dealt with. So she decides at this point to finally tell Giles and Willow what happened with Angel. And she says it very, you know, very much like a person that has been holding on to something for a long time, but is ready to finally move on. You know, she says it very matter-of-factly, just sort of like, um, I, your spell worked, Willow. It worked at the last minute but I still had to kill him. So I told him that I loved him. I kissed him and then I killed him. And then she says, I've been holding on to that for a long time. It feels really good to get it out. And then she walks out of the room and, um, Willow just sort of says to Giles, like she starts, 
oh, and Buffy says during this conversation, even before she left the room, I don't know if that helps with your spell or not, Giles, but um, I just really needed to get that off my chest or whatever. And um, Willow says to Giles after Buffy leaves, like, I know you don't want me dealing with this magic stuff, but I think I could really help, blah, blah, blah. And Giles says, there is no spell. And then he walks away. That's all he says. He just says, there is no spell. And Willow sort of has like a little moment of realization, sort of a smirk on her face, but it's very subtle. And this is where I have to bring up that it took me until like the fourth, fifth, sixth time I saw this episode to realize that Giles made up a fake spell just to get her to talk. I thought the first few times I saw this, I thought that because of the fact because of what Buffy just revealed that the spell was no longer going to work. And when he was saying there is no spell, it's like, well, I can't do the spell now because things are different than I thought. I totally didn't get it. Maybe it's not actually that subtle, but I think this was a subtle thing. And I think that that's why Giles is super classy because like I said before, he knew that she needed to talk. He knew that she needed to deal, but he found a way to get her to deal with it without being super confrontational about it. And that's why he's the best dad. He doesn't, he doesn't ever look for recognition for this, you know, like the good that Giles does in the world is largely unsung, but he never asks for, he never asks for praise. He never asks for recognition. He just quietly does the right thing most of the time. And this is a great example of that. And that's why he gets MVP of the episode. It's not actually the clottering. It is Giles because this moment is a lot and it's really kind of great. He didn't push, but he didn't give up. He knew she needed to talk about it. And when she did, it was, it was a moment. She was really giving up. She was really letting something go and she's ready to move on from Angel finally. And we get to see that reinforced even more after she makes the confession of what happened to Giles and Willow. She immediately goes and waits for Scott to get out of class. And by the way, she's wearing an awesome like brown and burgundy paisley strapless dress. No, not strapless. It's sleepless. It has straps. And she looks so cute in it. It's such a great dress. Um, she just looks so cute. And it's so 1998 too. <laughs> that is definitely a dress that me and my friends would have worn in 1998. So this could also be the, um, this is the Buffy outfit of the episode, I would say. Although there were many to choose from, as I mentioned before. So she was waiting for Scott to get out of class. He gets out of class and she's like, look, um, I totally understand if after everything you do not still want to go with me to this film festival, but I would love to go with you. She says the ring, there was someone, the ring sort of confused me, um, but I would still like to go with you. And he, he's a little like twitchy at first, understandably, but then he says, okay, sure. He, he, obviously at this point he realizes this bitch's got some issues but he's willing to go for it and he's cute and charming and he definitely looks like a high school kid in this scene. I, 
because he's wearing like a sweater vest and an oversized t-shirt and he's got his backpack on and he just he looks I don't know if they were trying to make him look like a naive you know high school student but um they really achieved it if they were trying to do that they really did he looks so young in this particular scene but um he's excited they're gonna go together she's she tells him she has something that she needs to do tonight but after that she's free for the rest of the weekend going to Buster Keaton whatever and the thing that she has to do tonight we see in the last scene of the episode is she goes to Angel's mansion empty concrete you know and she has the clotter ring the clotter makes its fourth and final appearance of the episode fourth well let's see first was a dream second was pulling it out of the night stand third was getting a new one from a new guy fourth is this scene yeah <laughs> so it makes its fourth and final appearance in the episode she sets it down on the concrete ground inside the mansion and she just says goodbye and she walks out of the room um she's really trying to let angel go she knows she needs to let angel go and she's really trying to move on with her life but guess what she doesn't get to so the screen goes black you think it's the end of the episode but then the light comes back and the clotter ring starts jiggling like as if there's an earthquake and then naked angel naked and wet angel falls from the sky you get to see a very interesting angel angel very interesting angle of angel's ass i'm not gonna say it looks bad because <laughs> it doesn't um pointed out in the bite me episode guide of buffy by nikki stafford apparently i mean you get to see his back you know his whole backside basically and he doesn't have his tattoo that's what she says i kind of feel like we did see the tattoo though i almost want to look that up just to be super thorough i'm gonna do that i'm gonna watch the very last scene really quick and tell you if that's true that we don't actually get to see his tattoo nope the tattoo was there it was it was hard to see like i could understand how someone might mistake it for not being there on a smaller screen um but it was there it was just he was so lit from above that you could almost not see it so sorry i just had to be thorough on that so talk about not taking consent um not taking no for an answer buffy just told the universe that she was moving on from this dude and the universe said sorry you don't get to move on drops him out of the sky my mom had a question at the end of this episode she was like so was the fact that buffy left the clotter ring what brought him back and that's a really good question because the series never answers that question i'd love to know your thoughts if you would like to weigh in on this email me mixtressradio at gmail in my x t r e s s radio spelled the normal way at gmail um, or you can message me on the mixtress buffy instagram page which if you haven't yet definitely follow that i always post i basically only post once a week just when i've put a new episode up so it you know i wouldn't annoy you too much if you wanted to follow me over there but it's just um it under in instagram it's under mixtress buffy 
So um, yeah, you can message me over there too. I would love to know what you guys think about this because they don't, later they sort of explain that the sort of ephemeral powers that be were the ones that decided that they weren't done with Angel and they brought him back from hell. That's the only explanation we ever really get. We do know, I mean, we don't know at this exact moment, but later we find out he definitely was in hell. And now he's back. And five months of Earth time in hell is, as has been established in the first episode of this season, time goes differently in hell. So he might have been there, you know, 500 years at this point. Um, it's been a long time. Um, but, you know, what significance does it have that Buffy deciding to finally let him go that is the exact place that he has dropped. I mean, it was the mansion where he used to live, but he literally falls on top of the clottering. <laughs> so obviously some choice that obviously has something to do with her, you know? But, um, and that tracks with the way that magic works in Buffy. It's basically like the worst possible thing that could happen at any moment. <laughs> that could be a consequence of your actions is going to happen. So she finally is about to let him go. Her life could have taken a completely different turn. She could have from now on gone out with dudes that aren't, you know, bad for her. <laughs> she could have broken the spell of going out with demons and vampires, but she doesn't get to. And that kind of breaks my heart at this point because this season, which at this point, right before Angel drops out of the sky, you might think, okay, great. Now we're going to have two slayers. Buffy's going to try to date a normal guy. We're going to see how that goes. I'm excited for this season. We're going to meet the mayor because they keep dropping hints that we're going to meet the mayor. Like it's going to be great. But then Angel, not that I don't love Angel. And, but I think they weren't ready to let him, the series wasn't ready to let him go. And most of the plot points surrounding Angel in this season, I think, are a little bit beating a dead horse. I mean, we'll get there. There's probably some moments that I'll be like, oh yeah, well, I'm glad he's here for this. But overall, we could have spent so much more time on Faith if this whole we can't let go of Angel storyline didn't exist. You know, just revisionist history, <laughs> revisionist Buffy history right now. I think it would have been cool if he came back for maybe a few episodes and we realized that, you know, he didn't need to be back or something. I don't know. They weren't ready to let him go. He had to have, they had to keep him around because they were going to, they probably at this point already knew that he was going to have his own show. Um... They weren't done with him, and his storyline is all about atonement, and in general, I like the fact that, you know, he has to spend his whole lifetime atoning for the sins that he committed while being a terrible, terrible vampire. I like, I like that aspect of the morality hitting you over the head part of Buffy. Um, I like that he needs to do a lot to make up for the really terrible things that he's done. He has to do a lot and he's back for the reasons of atonement. However, 
I feel like the series spends too much time focusing on his character development and neglecting the character development of Faith, of Drusilla, of Kendra, like so many great charismatic women. They even neglect the storyline of Willow, one of the main characters. You know, we could get a lot more of her and Oz. Like the time spent on Angel could be better spent elsewhere, I think, personally. But he's back and I'm not not excited about it. So um, that's that's what's setting us up for the next episode. Angel's fucking back from hell. Let's do this. Um, thanks for listening tonight, guys, to the two-hour podcast um, episode. I will see you guys next week, I think. Let me double check. Oh, wait. I haven't done all my ratings. So the object of the episode, as I mentioned before, Giles' mug. The quote of the episode was that one about wanting to shop and date and hang out and go to school and save the world from unspeakable demons. You know, girly stuff. The MVP of the episode... I want to give it to Faith just because this is her introduction, <laughs> but I think she gets to share it with Giles because without both of them, Buffy wouldn't have been able to deal with the thing that she needed to deal with. Um, because Giles, you know, he did his whole thing that I mentioned. He did his whole cool dad thing. Awesome dad. Respectful dad. Not needing any recognition for doing awesome things, dad. But also, if she hadn't seen that Faith had some shit that she needed to deal with and she dealt with it, she wouldn't have been... She needed both of those elements. She needed both Faith and Giles to be able to move on. So both of them get to be MVP of the episode. My 5x5 five five ratings, as far as enjoyability of this episode, I'm pretty consistently given everything fours lately. Um, I, it, I give it a four out of five. As far as communication of the themes of the episode, because I didn't understand what Giles was doing the first, you know, three to five times I saw this episode, I'm giving it a three. I think, I think I understand why they were being subtle about it. They were expecting you to be smart enough to figure it out, but I wasn't. So I'm giving it a three on that, which means the episode gets a 12 overall. So, you know, don't keep track of my scores for the episodes because I don't think they translate very well, but whatever. This episode gets 12. Um, let me make sure. I think we're back again next week. Yes, we are. I will see you on the 20th and we will talk about beauty and the beasts. Um, thanks for listening. Bye.